right now. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Artistic Director with Jacob Alexander Ferg. I'm sitting here with Roger Merrill. Roger, uh, thank you so much for sitting down with me. <laughs> You're welcome. My pleasure. Uh, how are you doing? Excellent. Yeah, and that's, I have to say, I, I think this is the fastest uh, as, from asking to do the interview to <laughs> sitting down. I, I, I called a couple times, but then I just walked in the theater and was like, yeah. oh, sure, he'll sit down with you right it's now. It's easier. Um, so, Roger, for the listener who's not familiar with you, can you give a brief history of your uh, existence in the theater performance world that led you to being the artistic director of Playmill Theater? Sure. Um, I've always loved theater. started in high school, like most people. Um, I went to, to school in a small town in Idaho where sports ruled, and I wasn't very good, and so <laughs> I drifted to somewhere that I could excel in the theater, and so that was kind of by default, but um, I've always loved it, and uh, then after high school, went to um, three universities to get my associates, my bachelor's, and then my master's degree in theater nice. arts. Um, and, and they're all general degrees. I didn't specialize. I didn't get an MFA. I got an MA. Mm. It's because I wanted to be able to experience everything. I didn't want to pigeonhole into just directing or just acting or, you know, technical theater. So <clears throat> so I, I finished my degrees. Um, while I was in college, I actually auditioned for uh, a summer stock company here at the Playmill Theater in West Yellowstone, Montana. And at the time, the theater was associated with Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, and Rick's College in mm-hmm. Rexburg, Idaho, which were both owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormons, right? Mm-hmm. So I auditioned for the company and made it. And at the time, um, you actually paid tuition, paid fee to come and be a member of the company because they would provide oh, wow. um, opportunities to take classes after rehearsals were finished you know, during the day. So you know, I almost essentially finished my bachelor's degree without with only spending maybe I think two semesters on campus because I, I earned so many credits Interesting. here on site as a sort of this satellite campus in theater which was awesome because yeah. you know you, you study theater all day during classes and then in the evening you're doing shows for tourists and, and putting into practice everything we'd learned during the day so it's a great opportunity it was a neat learning ground yeah um, came back for a second season at the company and uh, started dating my now wife and we were married, and we've been back. That was in 1986, and we've been back ever since. We actually purchased the theater um, about 13 years ago, 2005, 13 seasons ago. And so we've been here a very long time at this venue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, great. So I like to start out my podcast with this question. It's a big, ambiguous question, and I make sure to ask all my guests. So feel free to answer it in any <laughs> okay. way, shape, or form that you want. Uh, but the question is simply, what is your artistic direction? You know, my the if I had to, to codify a guiding principle in, in what we do, um, this theater is for-profit, mm-hmm. which is very unusual today, in today's yeah. day and age, in theater. Uh, we don't, we don't uh, get subsidies. We don't get grants. We depend on ticket sales and putting bodies in seats. So... Um, it, we walk kind of a, a fine line, and it's a delicate balance between doing material that is engaging for us artistically as, as theater artists, and yet we'll still sell tickets yeah. that audiences want to see. So obviously it's a summer stock theater. We do a lot of musical theater and comedies, yet 
yeah, try to find a balance between challenging ourselves artistically and entertaining the audience. And uh, sometimes that's that's difficult because, you know, things that we would consider shows that we would love to do. I've got a list of shows I would love to do, <laughs> but I know I can't do them here because they wouldn't sell. Yeah, and that's so. you. You have a very very interesting, uh, I'll say, ecosystem to pull from in terms yeah, of an audience. Yeah, I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that I as well. Yeah. Um, but in in terms of what guides us, it is it is to, to at this theater we 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 emphasize from. Day one, from from the time we hold auditions with our cast to closing night, that the emphasis here is on the audience. We focus on the audience, and it's to to give them a a positive evening's experience, not just you know waiting for the curtain to rise, waiting for the curtain to fall, and they leave, and we exit the stage door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything is focused on giving the audience a positive, entertaining experience, not just. Uh, uh, an experience in viewing a piece of theater. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of things, a lot of things that we do, we go about in a very different way than most theater experiences. For example, um, we we are primarily in a tourist location, West Yellowstone, Montana, which is at the west entrance to Yellowstone National Park. When this theater opened in 1964, um, the founders, you know, were convinced that. When families came out of Yellowstone in the evening to stay in the hotels in town, they had nothing to do, which was true. There were like eight bars in this town. That was it. <laughs> so they opened this little theater and uh, started selling tickets. And, and it was a rough go the first 10, 10 or 12 years because no one knew about it. Um, you know, obviously in the days before the Internet and, and social media, it was tough to get an audience. So they developed some some systems that we still incorporate today. One of which is on nights when we're not sold out, we send the cast members out into the town, into the restaurants, into the streets with guitars, and they sing songs and they they bark like a you know a carnival circus barker, and announce our shows and get people interested and have them come in. We sell tickets and they come in off the street and they that works. Feel, it works. You bet. Wow. Um, especially in the early days, yeah. and they depended on that. Yeah. Um, when the audience comes to the theater, the cast members actually serve as ushers, and they take the tickets and take the people into their seats and offer to sell them a program or some concessions, get to know them a little bit. Uh, while that's happening, we have entertainment going on on the stage, pre-show entertainment with cast members. It's open mic essentially. They, yeah. you know, they st- step up and and sing a song, and then the next person does, and and while we're seating for the half hour. Then just before the show starts, we we do a, an audience sing along, <laughs> you know, with the audience. You know, I always say we don't sell alcohol, so we have to get them loosened up somehow. <laughs> so we do a, a sing along. The cast members come out into the audience, and we sing old fashioned, you know, "Let Me Call You Sweetheart," um, yeah. "You Are My Sunshine," whatever. Get them involved. Then we celebrate special occasions. We ask if there's birthdays, anniversaries. We pull the people down on the stage, and cast members sing to them and flirt with them and kiss them on the cheek. It's a big, you know, big thing for families to come and celebrate an occasion. Then we do the first half of the show. At intermission, you know, we 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 don't just take a break for ten minutes and come back for Act Two. We actually bring concessions into the theater. We sell fudge, homemade fudge, and hot fudge sundaes, and sodas, and homemade sugar cookies, and popcorn, essentially, you know, traditional theater fare. And the cast members come in and hawk that stuff right to the audience for the full 10, 12 minutes of intermission. We finish that, they go right back and do act two. So there's 
And then the last thing is after the show, we have our cast members exit the theater and greet the audience as they leave. Now, you know, this gets kind of some pushback sometimes from uh, actors because they f- consider it unprofessional, you know, to, to greet the audience after the show. Yeah. But but it's not so that they can tell us how wonderful the show was. It's so we can thank them for coming. Again, our emphasis is on focusing on the audience and giving them a positive experience. So as the audience leaves, the cast members greet them and say, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for supporting us. We appreciate it. Now, by this time... Cast members have had, I think, nine opportunities to have face-to-face contact with audience members, right? They've sung to them on the street. They've taken them to their seats. They've sold them concessions at intermission. Um, and this way, they get to know them. And, and honestly, we have some of our best friends in the world have come from people attending the plays and us getting to know them in that process. Wow. And what this does is it gives the audience a sense of ownership to the experience. Um, they, they come having had an immersive, interactive uh, experience with the cast members, not just as detached observers of the theatrical event, which is what we're used to you know, in educational professional yeah. theater. You come, you buy your ticket, you sit there, and then you leave. Um, but we kind of you know, upset the apple cart and and we want them to have an interactive positive experience. Now we we do maintain artistic integrity for the most part with the productions in that we take our craft very seriously and we challenge ourselves to do the best we can do with the resources that we have and the you know the the, the resources at hand. And so uh, it, it's a little more complicated in that respect. To balance all of those things, because we're a family-oriented theater, it, it is a, a summer destination. But the interesting thing is that over the years, uh, we did a survey just recently and found that 74% of our audience has been here before, are returning guests, um, which says a lot because they they want to come back and do it again, and it's a tr- tradition for a lot of families. We don't depend on the tourist traffic like every other business does in town yeah. or as the theater did in the early days in in you know bringing in those Yellowstone tourists every day uh, right now we're we're a, a, luckily we're a destination and, and a tradition for a lot of families in that regard so that's a long-winded answer to your question oh, that's great. but our approach to to what we do here is is to make it an immersive experience that you know it's funny when i i see people Outside of the theater, I, I I live in another state the rest of the year, and I'll I'll, I'll see people and I'll say, Hey, you're the you guy from the play mill, aren't you? I said, Yeah. Oh, we were there last summer. We had such a great time. And I'll say, Well, what show did you see? What did what did you come to? And they they're like, I don't remember, but it was so much fun. We had the best time, <laughs> which says a lot about yeah. our approach. You know. So. Yeah, that's it's interesting because you are making an effort to create community in a town where community it's i guess temperamental might be the word yeah, where pe- people are transient um, transient yeah, yeah that's transient that's a great there, there is no community here yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's the people who work at the businesses for the the tourists yeah yeah um i i guess what are ways that another theater could create that immersive experience to have someone uh have their theater as a destination to come back to year after year after year um i think i think what happens uh, well, I, I'm not sure the answer to that yeah. because because I don't have experience with other people's theaters. Yeah. 
But what I have seen, maybe in in bad case scenarios, where you know there have been some reputable summer stock uh, equity theaters closed in, in recent years, and, and there are theaters that that do get grants and do get subsidies, where they become so insulary and and focused on themselves, mm. and um, you know meeting their artistic, you know doing material that's worthy of their artistic vision and not taking the audience into account and uh, focusing on themselves and and you know it sounds trite but but frankly I think that's one of the reasons for our success is that we 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 harp on that with our actors and that's such a foreign concept for a lot of them is it's not about me no it's not about you it's about the audience no matter how you no matter how you slice it it's got to be about the audience and the minute you, you you lose sight of that at whatever level you know, if you're not doing summer stock, you know, family entertainment theater, even community theaters, when when they focus on themselves and, well, the audience needs to accept this because, you know, we're presenting our artistic vision. You know, you, it demands respect and demands acceptance. That's not true. You still have to fill the seats, mm-hmm. and if you don't, you're done. Yeah. Uh, so so don't alienate your audience at at whatever level. That's, yeah, uh, wonderful. I'm curious. You mentioned this a little bit. I want. I, I want to hear some expansion on it. Is um, this is a very family oriented theater? It is in, intelligently, intelligently, mm-hmm. because a lot of families come here and it's just simply you yeah. know your audience. Yeah. Um, but so right now you're running the Little Mermaid <laughs> yeah. up here in the Starcatcher and Sound of Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Um, n- none of which a theater type might consider uh, challenging in podcast air quotes. Fine. Uh, uh, h- agreed. How you, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, how do you ensure that? And you talked about this a little bit, but I'm curious. How do you ensure the cast is engaged artistically? <laughs> because you know what? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what material. And I tell my, as a, as a director, I tell my, my actors all the time, you could read the phone book on sending in your head. I don't care as long as you're engaged and the relationships are believable and we tell the story. And, it, and if you can do those things, the audience is engaged. What's the goal of good theater is to tr- be transported emotionally. It doesn't matter what you do. And, you know, I, I love musical theater. I love Oklahoma. I love the classic, you know, Roger and Hammerstein shows. As long as you can focus on the relationships and the story that's being told and and um, the interaction between those characters, the audience will be with you. They'll be sucked in. And if the audience is transported emotionally, they've had a positive experience at the theater. And, you know, I get frustrated with people that say, oh, it's just fluff. You know, you're yeah. not doing real gritty theater. Yeah. Well, to me, gritty theater is getting the audience emotionally engaged. And it doesn't matter what you do. As long as you can focus on that... You've won the battle. Yeah, that's um, period. That's, that's great. Uh, I'm curious how do you how do you get a cast uh, in that mindset of how do you take all of these different people who are coming to the theater for uh, different their own different intentions and get them in this mindset to be engaged fully completely with whatever work is presented to them. Well, that's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah, it is the challenge, which is kind of why I asked the question. <laughs> and and you know, part of part of the, the the way that our theater operates, we are an ensemble. We we tell people all the time there are no divas here, there are no stars. Mm-hmm. And one night, you know, the girl that's playing um, Ariel in The Little Mermaid, the next night is in the chorus or in, you know, singing in the rain. You know? Showgirl number four. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody works the same amount of hours. Everybody works just as hard. No, we don't have star dressing rooms. Everybody, we're an ensemble. And everybody 
cleans the restrooms after the show at night. And and that's one way that we do it is is that we don't there's no hierarchy of you know deservitude. You know, <laughs> I've paid my dues therefore. And and part of that is is a is an ethic that that goes away as you progress to different levels in theater. I mean, admittedly, we hire primarily college actors, college age actors. Several of us have been here a number of years, done professional theater and Broadway tours and, and whatever. But the, primarily, it's it's student actors, and uh, we always tell them, you know, you will. I, I've got a friend that's in uh, Wicked right now on Broadway. He's playing Dillamond in, in New York, and and he he tells his cast members what he did here at this theater because we do 13 shows a week Monday through Saturday two shows every night back to back and a matinee on Saturdays 13 shows a week plus <laughs> cleaning and sweeping and scrubbing toilets and all of that and he tells these Broadway actors you know they complain about their eight show a week and oh my gosh I'm so tired and, and he says well let me tell you a story back at the play mill in Montana when I was there <laughs> this is what we did and and I think you know actors are coddled and pampered and and we tell them this is this will be the hardest acting job you'll ever have because it's not just acting it's it's being part of an ensemble and um and we ask a lot of them yeah. and um uh, i think that's part of the reason for the success is everyone has a sense of ownership mm-hmm. in in what we do uh and that, and that creates a community within the ensemble itself absolutely um, and the other the other reason for that is is um we have to provide housing because we're in a remote area and here in Yellowstone and we have to provide housing for our cast members so that they live together you know the, the girls we have an apartment and eight of them live together and the guys are six or seven of them that live together and um, <clears throat> well, that also helps create a sense of community and uh, every year at auditions you know we'll have a couple of hundred people audition for our for our company and without exception, every year, I will pass over people at those auditions who, frankly, may be more talented, may have more jobs than some of the people we end up casting, but I don't want to work with them. I, I, I don't see them being a, a successful member of a company that will pull together and, and not be a problem. And I'll, look them, I'll pass them up because I don't want to work with that. So, how do you find those personalities within an audition? We have what I'm told is is a little bit of a different audition process as well. We we have um, auditioners fill out an extensive questionnaire about their theater experience. About we ask them philosophical questions mm-hmm. about tell me your favorite theatrical experience. You know, and you can tell a lot from that. Yeah. Well, it was when I was the star of this such and such show, and blah 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 blah, you know. And uh, at our audition process, um, we do usually have a callback audition. And once we get our pool of, of of callbacks, we interview them. We don't just have them sing and and do monologues. We interview them. We sit down and ask them, "Tell me about your most difficult situation living with a roommate." <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and so um, we do we do an extensive you know as extensive as possible vetting process because we want people that are fun to work with and that mm-hmm. are positive and will and will contribute to the overall success of the group yeah. not just demand attention and and you know and there's an interesting dilemma with auditions where if you have one audition 
it's there's such a wide variance of variables that can happen. Like, oh yeah, that person could be having a terrible day. And oh, it could yeah. be the best person in the world, and <laughs> they just like feel bad, and they're like, uh, going in. Is this the same um, person that auditioned? I uh, didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm curious after you audition. Uh, one of the things that I look or I believe that an artistic director does is cultivate a culture. Mm-hmm. So every time you come into a theater, every time any other other uh, cast member comes into a theater, uh, you are setting sort of a culture is a word that I like to use sure. um, of, I guess, of the theater itself. How do you ensure that not only yourself, but all the other cast members are cultivating this culture to uh, be positive and lift each other up rather than have things that are sort of out of sight that might be you know, yeah. causing some toxicity. Um, it's actually part of the contract. Oh, yeah. No drama. <laughs> you, you can be fired for causing drama. Drama's on stage. Yeah, off stage, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we always joke with the no drama drama company, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because of the nature of, of our environment here and the nature of what we do, I don't have a stomach for it, you know. I, I don't need to work with that, and I won't. And and we fired people for just being insubordinate and attitudinal. And you know, there's a process, just like any employer. We've, you know, three warnings, and then a write up, and you have a conversation, and then we'll let them go. That's just the way it is. No one's irreplaceable, myself included. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We just we, we we try and make that very clear that um, the other thing that we do, you know, theater. It's easy to be punitive. And you know, we, we have a fine system. If you're late, you know, you get a fine. That way, I don't have to be angry with you. I don't have to be offended that you yeah. didn't care enough about your craft to be on time. You just get a fine. Like you know? a monetary fine? Yeah. Or? Okay, yeah. Well. Take it out of the check. Ten oh, bucks. Wow. And then let's go to lunch. You know, I don't yeah. have to be mad about it. If you're late three times, we have a conversation about if you really want to work here. So it's easy to be punitive, right? Yeah. You leave your costumes on the floor, you get a fine. So we've learned many years ago that that, that can be uh, uh, debilitating. It can yeah, be uh, cause de- degrading, cause yeah. friction and tension. So we actually came up with an idea a couple of years ago. And it's very fun that we, we have, a, we have a, a company duck race at the end of the summer, right? Literally right? ducks. Literally ducks in a stream. <laughs> so during the course of the year, whenever we, 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 we have a cast member that, that we notice doing something above and beyond, Right, they stayed ten minutes to work on a dance step. They, you know, took a little extra time cleaning the dressing room, whatever it is. Then we'll award them with a duck, right? And this goes on all summer long. And then in August, towards the end of the season, we have a duck race, and every duck has a number, and every cast member is assigned to those ducks. And then uh, my wife and I, we go shopping, and we have a, a huge table full of. Blu-ray players, bicycles, televisions, uh-huh. and then so so it's kind of a fun reward system, yeah. you know. It creates a kind of a fun atmosphere to, that is not just punitive for doing things wrong. We also notice when people go above and beyond and do do more than is expected. So it's yeah. fun. Yeah, that that's excellent. Um, how do you go about picking the shows from season to season? That's one of the hardest things about what we do um, because we do have such a narrow niche of. Uh, our audience is very specific and I uh, uh, let me explain that what I mean is the majority of our audience members don't generally see theater the rest of the year it's a we're in a resort area um, 
it's a it's a family destination and a family tradition to come to the play mill when they're on vacation. So a lot of our audience members, they'll come to the play mill two or three times during the summer, but they're not theater goers the rest of the year. When they go home to California or Utah or wherever they're from, it, it, it's just not really something they do. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? That does so, make sense, yeah. So that also plays into our, our season selection in that we always try and choose at least one show that's a chestnut, you know, one that everybody knows by name. Okay. And even if they think they know, even if they think they know it, you know, they may not. Like okay. Singing in the Rain. Yeah. It's one of those shows that people are, oh, yeah, I love that. What's it about? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, chestnut that you recognize by yeah. name. Then we try and do something new, new and challenging for us as a, a theater company. Um, you may laugh, but this year it was The Little Mermaid. Um, our, our venue is very small. Our yeah. stage is only, uh, what is it, 16 by 30 feet wide. It's a very small stage, and and we've learned to to use it to the, you know, the the, the best of our ability. We, we we get a lot of mileage out of this little space. Yeah. So a show like The Little Mermaid is very challenging for us in this space because of the spectacle. Exactly, yeah. and that's the other nice thing about about our venue. It's a it's a modified thrust stage, so we have audience on three sides. And um, the, the furthest seat away from the stage is maybe 16 feet. We only have nine rows of seating. The sidelines are great. Yeah, so it's very yeah. uh, intimate, and the audience is literally right on top of the action. So we use that to our advantage. You know, what we can't do with spectacle, we, we try and do with relationships and the immersive environment mm-hmm. in, in which the theater exists here. So we try and do a show that's challenging for us technically and you know, it requires innovation, and and, um, and then the third show often is something that may be more appealing theatrically from or the theater community. Peter and the Starcatcher is one of my favorite shows. It's just it's a such a brilliant, beautiful story and told in such a unique theatrical way that it works very well in this space because it, we have such a small space that that show actually works really well here. Um, and then of course, in all in all regards, we have to sell tickets. Because if we don't, we don't come back next year. So um, we've already decided next year Newsies is available, and because we're one of the larger theaters in our region, um, MTI offered that to us for next season. So we are doing Newsies for sure. Okay. Uh, the other two shows um, we haven't decided, but because we cast a company, and and every actor is in all three shows, we have to have shows that work well together. Yeah. Um, you know. We, it's hard to do Forever Plaid and Oklahoma in the same year because yeah. you've got to have 25 people for Oklahoma and then Forever Plaid you've got four, yeah. you know, six with musicians. And, and that's difficult to balance as well. So we try and find shows that work well in combination and that, that are different enough in nature that, that it gives us a variety yeah. on the same bill for the same season. Does the company size change depending on what shows that you do? Yes, it does. Okay. Definitely. It does. Okay. Um, and you know that that kind of varies. We do combine, you know, roles in, in like in uh, scene in the rain. You know, you can have a company in, a, in an ensemble of dozens and dozens. Well, obviously, we consolidate and and combine a lot of those numbers just because of limitations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we do try and and uh, choose shows that work well together in numbers wise. Um, and then I'm curious, I'm going to go a little bit back, but uh, you mentioned the contract. I'm always interested in uh, what is on when, when you have to sign a contract for a theater. 
uh, the the contents of the contract, and you don't have to reveal anything that you don't feel I'm comfortable. Not sure what you're asking. Uh, I'm guessing. Uh, what are things that needed to be added to the contract uh, through experience? Uh, does that make sense? The actor's contract? Yeah, the actor's contract. Oh, okay, itself. gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Okay, so, yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking licensing. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> actor's contracts, drama. <laughs> we <Yeah>. added that. <laughs> um, uh, we do have a, a zero tolerance for drug and alcohol use uh, because we provide the housing, and often that housing is rented with neighbors in close proximity. I see. Cast members come and go, but we are here year after year after year yeah. and we can't burn bridges in that regard so we have a zero drug drug use policy um but beyond that um it's pretty straightforward yeah. you know uh, you're just expected to perform the duties of your job which includes acting and in our case custodial and you know we do everything we don't have the luxury of a lot of additional staff um to do those kinds of things so the cast members do everything we don't have stagehands they move scenery. They, they do everything. Yep. Yeah. I, I also I, I've been part of a theater that uh, you know I, I was on stage and then after the show I'd clean the bathroom and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that helps nurture that idea of no divas. Yeah. You can't be a diva when you're doing when you're in the box up. You're or cleaning you're, up vomit in the lobby yeah. and some kid comes out. I mean that happens every week. We yeah, all have to do it. So. Oh really? Oh like, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. I wish I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so we're rounding out at about half hour right now. Is there anything that you're interested in talking about in terms of artistic direction or just direction general or the playmill theater uh, that we haven't talked about yet? Um, boy, I'm trying to think. I think we've covered quite a lot of yeah. it. Um, it has been an interesting experience. I've been here, this is, I think, well, 1985. This would be 33 seasons, I believe. Whew, yeah. Um, and I also teach at university. I teach theater at university. So, so I do have a lot of uh, experience outside. The nice thing about what we've done here and being in one place for so long is we've raised our family here, my wife and I. Our kids have always been involved, and um, they all perform. Um, so they all also join in the management responsibilities. So it's a family business in that regard as well. And you're giving them a lot of experience. Yeah, very young. yeah invaluable experience. and. And family members that have been here and been involved, you know, often in theater, we, we kind of discount the value of what we do and the skills that we learn. And they go so far beyond learning lines and singing songs. You know, my, I have a son-in-law who was general manager here for a couple of years, and I gave him the assignment of going over our concession menu, figuring out how can we streamline and improve our, our concession offerings. So we actually doubled our concession sales. He went to business school as an undergraduate, applied at Penn State and used his uh, experience in our theater concessions and his application at Penn State got a full ride scholarship to the Smeal School of Business, you know, who'd have thought? Yeah. And another, my other son-in-laws have done the same thing. And and I think sometimes we discount the skills that, that theater brings to the table. And uh, we've had so many cast members not just go on to Broadway and to national tours, but law school and business school and, and using the talents and the skills that they learn here at this theater in interacting with the audience in ways that you don't usually do so as an actor that it just gives them a leg up in anything else they decide to do even if it's outside of theater yeah. that's awesome to watch it's yeah because theater is not only theater and performance where you learn about yeah. things in the show it's also a people business. skills yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely exactly. absolutely um uh, i have one final question i'm curious what would you uh, give 
What advice would you give yourself when you first became the artistic director, knowing what you know now? Well, that's hard because everything I know now has been I've built upon yeah. my experience from the past. So, you know, I think I think <laughs> probably the biggest piece of advice I would give myself would be to not get emotionally attached to a piece of theater as a sacred cow because you know some of my favorite things we've ever done on this stage we couldn't give tickets away for you know one of my favorite musicals of all time is The Secret Garden and um, it's a beautiful piece and we did a great job with it didn't sell it's not a summer stock kind of thing people want to come and they want to laugh and have a good time and and be touched at the same time and and um, even though that was such an now I look back and it was pretty indulgent on our part <laughs> pretty artistically indulgent because we loved it so much and yeah. why doesn't the audience ex- love this and accept yeah. it like we do and and uh, but you know we've learned over time to temper those attachments to material yeah and uh, be able to still challenge ourselves artistically with other things in different ways yeah in different ways and that's okay and there's I, I envision this sliding scale between the, the the theater you want to do and the theater the community wants to see oh yeah and if you're in control of the theater you have to understand you where on to. that scale you and are. it's not and I don't think it it's not a sellout it's not selling out yeah, no, absolutely not it's reality it's simply the reality of, of what we do and, and I think it's disingenuous to think well you know who cares what the audience thinks we're going to do this show and do it the way we want to do it well, then why are you doing theater? Yeah. The goal of good theater is to, is to transport the audience emotionally. You don't want to alienate them before they even take their seats. Mm-hmm. You want them to come, and you want them to be, be affected by what you do. And, and we use those kind of as guiding principles in challenging ourselves artistically. And we added an LED video wall this year for, for scenery. And, and you know, a, a fiber optic star field on the ceiling, you know, for effects and whatever. So we're constantly trying to find ways to challenge ourselves and, and still flesh out good material that focuses on relationships. It's the bottom line. It's about meeting the audience halfway and then sometimes going... And, and, then, yeah, and then challenging them, challenging yeah. them, asking them to stretch a little bit. There's no, that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we, we make a uh, concerted effort to do that. Yeah. Otherwise, we would... I couldn't take it. Yeah. You know, you can't just do fluffy variety show kind of things yeah, every over year again, over yeah. and over and over you have to challenge yourself yeah. and there's nothing wrong with challenging the audience at the same time yeah. as long as you don't alienate them yeah so. I think part of challenging your cast is asking them to go out on the street and play guitar Abs- and it, yeah, absolutely like, it's uncomfortable yeah. to start with because we're not used to that you know <laughs> yeah. and we're not used to shaking their hands after the show and I've gone to other theaters that have adopted that kind of same idea they go out after the show and greet the audience but the actors stand there and wait for me to tell them how great they were yeah well and it's awkward yeah, you know definitely it's always awkward <laughs> so we make sure that, that that my people that my actors know that's not why we're there we're there to thank them for coming thank you for coming you know they may have sung to them at their birthday before the show they may have met them in the restaurant have a safe trip back to Oregon. It was so great to meet you. Thank you so much for coming. And you have a personal connection. And, and that's why today, you know, we, we sell 40,000 tickets a summer. And we only seat 265 people. That's impressive. 265 seats. And we do 13 shows, 13 shows a week because people feel like we know them. They'll see me, you know, in Disneyland or in New York and Times Square and say, Hey, you're the Playmill guy. We were there. Do you remember me? 
No, I don't. But they feel like I knew yeah. I should because I we, we we make a fuss over them. Yeah. And that's what makes the difference. They keep coming back. Yeah, that's that's the, there's something about that deep work that I really respect and appreciate. Yeah. It's because that's like that's the reason why you can sell forty thousand tickets. Yeah. And then that's without seasoned subscribers. We don't have a subscriber list. Oh wow. Well, or a donor list. These yeah, are just people right. that, because they're coming through. Yeah. They just keep buying tickets and they keep coming back. So that's great. All right, perfect. Uh, Roger, thank you so much for sitting down with me. You bet, my pleasure. Um, yeah, it was great. I always feel really energized after this. Awesome. These, <laughs> cool. Um, if anyone is looking for either you or the Playmill online, do you have any plugs for a listener who is interested in coming um, to yeah. the show? You can just go to our website at www.playmill.com. P L A Y M I ll.com or look us up on TripAdvisor. We're actually the number one attraction in Yellowstone, even over <laughs> Yellowstone River and Grand Canyon, all of that. We're number one, so we're doing something right, I think. Yeah, that's, uh, that's wonderful. <laughs> um, and then I like to end my podcast with this. Uh, can you give me one recommendation of absolutely anything at all? It could be a book, a movie, a music, a thing to eat, way of life, a quote, anything. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know, right? Let's... Start, um, start with the yeah, big ambiguous question and end with tough. the big ambiguous. That's really tough. <laughs> you know, for me, what it what it amounts to and what we focus on here in the theater is our family. And, you know, my family has been the number one most important thing in my life and, and in our approach to the theater. Uh, my wife's been gone for two weeks because we just had a new grandchild. Oh, and right in the middle of opening a new show, we just opened Singing in the Rain, and, and she um, had to go to South Carolina. She goes, oh, I just can't go. I can't go. We leave you guys opening a show. And I said, the minute that, that this theater gets in the way of what we need to do as a family, then we're doing something wrong. And so we always try and put our family first in everything we do, and that, and that helps with our mission statement, I think so. That is a beautiful recommendation. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you so much for sitting down. Uh, you can find this podcast on Facebook and SoundCloud and iTunes. And listener, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have an excellent rest of your day. And that is the end of... Oh, where's my mouse?